Good morning, Central family. I can literally say that because it's like the whole family here today, so that's a fantastic... I love family services. Thank you, PVD. Appreciate it. Um, I love family services because, uh, I don't know, I just think that it's really fun. We actually have the privilege of having uh, our kids in here worshiping with us. Um, there is a number of things that contribute to faith development uh, within families, uh, but one of the biggest is actually uh, when our kids worship with us. It's one of the uh, things that matters to us as a, as a church, and so we love being able to do this. And kids, if you're here right now, uh, I need to hear you, so you got to just kind of yell out right now. You ready? Let me hear your voice. Woo! Come on, let's hear it. Nice, very good, very good. We're going to have some stuff for you a little bit later uh, that I think that you're going to enjoy, all right? All right, you're going to hang with me? Hey, we have uh, um, uh, an interesting uh, topic this morning. Dogs, explorers, and rewards. Back in 1914, a man by the name of Ernest Shackleton, who was a famous British explorer, put this ad in the paper in London. This is what it says. Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. Uh, Ernest Shackleton was actually preparing to go on his second South Pole expedition. Uh, Now, the unfortunate thing about this particular Uh, help wanted ad is we don't actually think Ernest Shackleton wrote it. (laughs) Uh, We think it was actually written a number of years later, but everything that's written in it is absolutely true. Back in, uh, well, there's actually been a number of books written, but back in 1999, uh, a guy with the last name Lansing wrote a book called Endurance, the Ernest Shackle, or excuse me, Shackleton's Incredible Voyage. A fantastic book, and he outlines everything that happened within this voyage. Uh, a true story, really, really powerful. And uh, Shackleton wound up not actually being able to do what he had set out to do. Uh, they actually wound up getting to Antarctica a little bit later than they anticipated due to um, some issues with the seas and sailing. As a result, they wound up there about a month later than they intended to, and the ice started to form in the seas, and they were not able to make it to land. They wound up getting stuck in an ice float where they sat the entire winter. Their boat could not be freed. They sat through the entire winter. In the springtime, when the ice began to break up, the ice actually started to crush the boat began to snap it like little matchsticks. They had to abandon the boat and they were stuck on an ice floe for uh, 465 days before they were able to actually be on solid ground again. Uh, It's an amazing story. Uh, If you've never read the book, it's a fantastic read. I'd highly recommend it. But the question comes, how did Shackleton get the 28 men to go with him on this expedition. I mean, uh, whether the ad was historical or not, we know that he had over 5,000 people actually apply to go with him on this harrowing journey. Uh, It was a journey that, quite honestly, uh, a number of other explorers had undertaken and had died doing. 
Why would you want to go for low wages and risk life and limb for this? What is it that motivates us? Uh, there was actually in the Shackleton archives, I think this is at the Smithsonian, uh, they have this letter, uh, which I love. This was actually one of the application letters that came in from three women. It says this, Dear Sir Ernest, we three sporty girls, which I just love starting off a letter that way anyway. We three sporty girls have decided to write and beg of you to take us with you on your expedition to the South Pole. We are three strong, healthy girls and also upbeat and bright and willing to undergo any hardships that you yourselves undergo. If our feminine garb is inconvenient, we should just love to don masculine attire. We have been reading all books and articles that have been written on dangerous expeditions by brave men to the polar regions. And we do not see why men should have all the glory and women none, especially when there are women just as brave and capable as there are men, trusting you will think over our suggestion. That's my kind of chick right there, I'm just saying. Like, I wish my daughter, like I want her to be able to sign her name on a letter like that. That's phenomenal. Now, over 5,000 people said they wanted to be on this expedition, on this mission with Shackleton. What, what motivates us to do that? What motivates us to do good things? What motivates us to do hard things, right things, important things, meaningful things? What is it that motivates us to want to undertake something like that? Uh, there's a guy by the name of Dan Ariely, and uh, Dan is a behavioral economist. He uh, teaches at MIT and Duke, uh, so a pretty smart dude, written a number of books. And what uh, Ariely actually studies is what motivates people to work, what motivates people to do the work that they do. Uh, so he actually has found a number of different things, but it was interesting some of the things that he learned. Uh, contrary to conventional wisdom, uh, what motivates us is actually not the reward of money. A lot of times, in fact, there's an, a, a staggering amount of companies that still actually kind of hold to this mentality that, well, it's just about money. As long as they get a paycheck, uh, they call it the rat in the maze mentality. As long as I put a piece of cheese there, I can kind of get the person to go wherever I want them to go, right? As long as I give them a paycheck, I can direct them to this work or to that work. But what Ariella has found is that, no, that's actually not what motivates people. Uh, some people then would posit, well, it's if you enjoy the work. Like, if you find joy in your work, that that's actually what motivates us. And Ariely said, well, kind of, a little bit, sometimes, but that's actually not one of the main motivators. Uh, Ariely came up with a, a number of different things, but I just want to share three of them with you. It's going to be up on the screen. Uh, he said this. This was a really interesting. The less appreciated we feel our work is, the more money we want to do it. The less appreciated we think that our work is, the more money we want to actually do it. So if you don't think that your work matters, if nobody ever tells you that it's important, if you don't know how it fits into the whole of the organization, if you don't think anybody uh, appreciates the fact that you do your job, then you want more money to actually continue to stay motivated to actually complete the task at hand, the job. Uh, the opposite is actually true as well, I really found, that uh, when you think that your job matters, you're willing to actually work at it for less pay. When you actually think that it uh, uh, is important, when people are letting you know that it's appreciated. Number two, the harder a project is, the prouder we feel of it. Uh, my guess is when you read this, something inside of you resonates. You're like, yeah, I do. I actually kind of get that. The harder 
a job is, the harder a project is, the prouder we often feel when we've accomplished it, don't we? Uh, He also said this, knowing that our work helps others seems to increase our unconscious motivation. So if we know that our work is actually going to benefit someone else, especially if we understand how the job that we do specifically plays out in the lives of people, certain, like if we have a connection to that, we're much more motivated intrinsically to want to work hard at that job. We recognize that it really benefits. And so companies that do a really good job of helping you understand how your role contributes to the product that they create and how that actually helps people, uh, either people that are buying the product or using the product or people that your organization is serving, you're much more motivated to work when there's actually flesh and blood folks that you know the job that you're doing is going to impact their life. Uh, He says a couple of other things. A promise of helping others makes us more likely to follow rules. Positive reinforcement about our abilities may increase performance. And he went on to kind of basically sum it up by saying this. It seems that most of us thrive by making constant progress and feeling a sense of purpose. And when we think about that, I think all of us are like, yeah, that's really true. When, when, when my work, when the, things that I'm called, when the things that I'm called to do, when I'm sensing that I'm progressing towards that goal, when, when I can begin to recognize that sense of purpose that I have for what I do, that makes a huge difference. So often we naively assume that rewards equal money or happiness, when in reality the greatest motivation, the greatest reward for our work is Rarely money, and often not even happiness. It's actually a sense of purpose. So let me ask you guys this question. I'm going I'm to put this question up on, the, up on the screen, and I want you to literally talk to the people around you, okay? Do you think that God rewards his people for their labor? And if so, how does he? Do you think God rewards his people for their labor? And if so, how does he? Uh, I especially want kids to answer this question. So if you're sitting with some kids, I want you to uh, share your answer with them and then I want you to hear their answer to you. Go ahead and turn to the people around you, find somebody if you're not close to anybody and ask that question. Does God reward his people and if so, how? The first question should be pretty easy. It's just a yes, no, right? Like, does he or he does or he doesn't? The second question, though, that I'd love to be sitting in on some of these conversations to hear some of your thoughts. Uh, there might be a couple of you that know that I do this, but probably most of you uh, um, don't know this, but I train dogs. Uh, I've been training dogs for about 12 years. I don't, now that I have four kids, I don't get to do it nearly as much as I used to do it. Um, but I started off, uh, uh, Brenda and I, when we first got married, we got an American Bulldog. Um, they're like pit bulls, but a little bit larger. And I used to train them for weight pull competitions. Um, and uh, once when I was at a weight pull competition, I saw some guys doing some protection work with their dogs. And I was like, ooh, that looks really cool. And so I started learning how to train dogs for protection work and obedience. Uh, eventually um, started uh, working even with some of the police departments in the area, um, Holland PD. Uh, um, I helped train some of the uh, canines for Allegan County um, PD, uh, some of the Ottawa County. <laughs> 
Allegan County. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, and, and it's just something that I really, really enjoy doing. Now, when you're training a dog, I've trained a, a number of my own personal dogs that uh, I'll either sell to families or um, uh, some that have gone off to a police department, things like that. Uh, but a number of them are just for my own self because I like participating in some of these sports. And like I said, I don't have as much time anymore as I used to, but uh, when I'm training these dogs, I'm looking for their different drives. So um, dogs have different drives, and especially when you're training protection dogs, there are certain drives you really want to focus in on. Uh, one of the drives is called food drive, okay? So simply the dog just is like, food, food, must have food, must have food. So this is great when they're puppies, okay? We often use pieces of hamburger or uh, cheese or something that we know that the dog loves, and I can get the dog to do whatever I want, just by having some hot dog. I can lure them into this position. As soon as they get in the right position, reward them. Yay, good boy. So I'll do that, right? And it's fantastic. Uh, then we also use um, something called prey drive, okay? Uh, not like prey, like we don't make our dogs bow their heads. It's a prey like when an animal's running away from them and they think it's prey, okay? Some people also call this ball drive, when a dog's like super crazy for a ball. Ooh, a ball, a ball, a ball, right? You know, throw the ball, the dog runs and gets it. There's hunt drive, throw it into the woods. The dog has to run in and try to find it. There's also what we call defense drive. That's in the protection side. When the dog is, uh, something scary comes, is the dog going to run away? Or is the dog going to step into that? without being afraid, and then we also have something called fight drive, which is when the dog actually enjoys fighting uh, with the bad guy, all right? Now, that doesn't mean the dog's a crazy freak and just wants to bite everything and everyone. In fact, those dogs don't make it because they're not safe dogs. What we want is a dog that actually enjoys these things, and what we try to do is utilize their various drives, the things that motivate them to get them to do the things that we need them to do, all right? So, I've got my dog, Bass. Jeff, you can come on out here. I've got a buddy of mine. Is, uh, Jeff and his wife are actually uh, students at Western uh, Seminary. And uh, Jeff is helping me this morning handle Bass. I think. Here he comes. Yeah. All right. Good job. Thank you, Jeff. You guys don't realize what a, what a chore it is for Jeff to do this for me this morning. Uh, this is Bass. Bass is a Belgian Malinois. Come here, buddy. Oh, what do I got? What do I got? Hey, hey. You ready? Hup. Good. Hup. Good. Hup. Yes, good boy. Yeah, good boy. Yes. Out. Yes, good boy. Good boy. Out. Here. Good boy. Yeah, good boy. Up. Hup. Hup. Down. Yes. Ah, good. Get it. Good boy. Good boy. Up. Leave it. Yes. Good. Good boy. Yeah. Get it. Get it. Yes. Good. Let's give a hand to Bass. Good boy. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. And to Jeff, he's got to try to wrangle him now and get him put back away. <laughs> oh, he came up. Come here, buddy. Come here. Hey. Come here. This is what happens. Live, friends. Good boy. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Come on. Up. Hugh.
grab this and pull them off. Pull them right off. Sorry, I'm coming, I promise. Just because there's a girl out there. All right, all right, here we go, here we go. See, I said to myself, I said, this is either going to be awesome or it's going to be a complete train wreck. And we got both. This is fantastic. So when I'm working with bass, I want to make sure that I'm interacting with his drives because there's certain drives that really he's going to respond to. When he was a puppy, bass would sometimes look to me and sometimes he would look for himself of what he wanted to do. But the thing is, is I knew what bass was created for. Uh, I knew what bass had actually been bred to do. And so I was able to interact with him in a way that was going to give him the greatest satisfaction. So, what in the world, though, does dog training and behavioral economics have to do with what God wants us to do? Well, both behavioral economics and dog training is specifically looking at what motivates us to do work. In dog training, I'm looking to build on those drives, right? Uh, the problem with humans, though, is that we're not nearly as motivated by small pieces of hot dog or bite pillows. It'd be wonderful if I, if I could train my kids with small pieces of hot dog. They, they're a little bit more complicated than that, as maybe you have found as if you raised your own. So we actually look at other things. Behavioral uh, economists will look at what motivates people to work. Why do they do the things that they do? God cares about what we do as well. God doesn't just care about what we do, though. God also cares about why we do it. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd love for you to open up to Matthew chapter 5. The ushers are going to be bringing Bibles down right now. Matthew chapter 5. It's on page 969. If you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand. The ushers will make sure to uh, hand you one that you can use. We've got a couple of kids that are bringing them down, too. Thanks, guys. And just raise your hand up. They'll make sure that you get a Bible. Matthew chapter 5. Now, this is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount was a time when Jesus, uh, it's one of the longest teachings that we have recorded for us in Scripture. Jesus is teaching on a number of different topics, but he actually hits on uh, some themes uh, a number of times within this teaching. And so we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus says this. He says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you see that? In the same way... Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. All right, pretty straightforward passage, right? Jesus just says, look, if you're a Christian, you've got a Jesus light, okay? Like people should know that you're a, a, a follower of Christ. People should see that in your actions. And so don't hide that. Rather, let it shine, Okay, so do good deeds, okay, the way that you love people, the way that you serve people, the way that you care for them. Do that in front of everybody else so that they can see you, what you do, and they will glorify God for that. Now, I want you to flip over to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. 
So this is literally just a couple of sentences later. This is still Jesus teaching, couple of sentences later, and Jesus then says this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So which is it? Are we supposed to do our good deeds in front of others that they may glorify God? Or are we supposed to not do our good deeds to be seen by others and we're not gonna get a reward if we do that? Which, which is it? Uh, if you're here this morning and uh, you're not a follower of, of Christ, uh, maybe you don't believe that Jesus is uh, actually the, the way, the truth, and life. You don't think that uh, he was God's son. Uh, first of all, let me simply say that we're super glad that you're here. Uh, we wanna be a church that it's a safe place for you to come and explore what Christianity is. We wanna be a church that's a safe place for you to come and question uh, your faith and what you believe, where you can ask questions and have people who will give you honest answers. If you're watching us online, uh, and that's you right now, we're, we're super glad that you're tuning in, we really are. Uh, I've got a lot of friends that um, don't believe the same things about Jesus that I do. Uh, they don't believe that he's actually God's son. Uh, but even my friends that don't believe that Jesus is God's son like I do still don't think that Jesus is an idiot. Uh, most people the world over actually really revere Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, why, why in the world is he saying these two things? He seems to be contradicting himself just within a couple of breaths. On the one hand, do your good deeds so that everybody can see it. On the other hand, don't do your, your deeds in front of other people to be seen by them. What, what's he talking about? Well, the issue is not that Jesus is contradicting himself. What Jesus is talking about is that it's not just what we do, it's actually the motive behind what we do. You see, in the first admonition, right, where he says to do your good deeds in front of others, what Jesus is saying is that we need to stand up and do what's right, even when it means that there could be persecution or negative consequences. We don't hide our faith. I remember um, I grew up uh, in the church both of my grandfathers were pastors. I didn't grow up at either of their churches, but my parents took me to church from the time I was a little kid. I gave my life to Jesus when I was five years old. As much as a five-year-old could understand, I said, I want Jesus. And I believe that Jesus in his grace saved me in that moment. But when I got into fifth grade, I can still remember. Um, I was sitting in my classroom. Uh, it was me and a few of my friends. There was a couple different conversations that were going on. Uh, this is still, it's crazy, because it's just etched in my mind. And I remember, I don't know what we were talking about, but I remember that I swore. And all my friends stopped talking. And they looked at me, and they all called me Tori back then. They said, Tori, I didn't know you swear. So then I had to act really cool, and so I was like, threw off a couple of other swear words. Well, blankety blank, I swear. And literally from that moment, I can still remember, it was that time on through fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, and the beginning of 10th grade that I basically said, I'm gonna try everything I can to hide my Christianity. I cared much more about whether people liked me or whether they thought that I was cool or that's what I, that's what I cared about. And I took my Jesus light and I hid it. In the middle of 10th grade though, God in his grace Jesus and his pursuing love came and found me. It was through relationships that I had uh, with a youth pastor and some other people that were in my life. And all of a sudden I started to realize, man, if, if I'm gonna call myself a Christian, because I still went to church all that time. I still did the church thing, went to youth group. Uh, but when I was at school, when I was with my friends, like I just didn't show that I loved Jesus at all. And during that time in 10th grade, God just got a hold of my life. And I began to just fall in love with Jesus. And so uh, I, I said, uh, you know what, Jesus, I wanna try to follow you as best as I can. So, 
I can still remember, though, uh, it was between my 10th grade year and my 11th grade year. I'd been playing soccer for the last couple of years, and a couple of guys, uh, um, uh, well, it was our whole team was actually playing in a summer league. And uh, we're, we're out there, uh, it's after a game, and uh, one of my friends comes up to me and he starts talking about this girl that he's dating and some inappropriate things that he uh, wants to do with her. And, and, and he says to me, uh, he says, hey, Tori, um, what about you, man? Uh, you got a girlfriend? Are you, you doing that stuff? Now, as a person who followed Jesus, I knew that God wanted me to wait until I was married to have relations with another person. And so I said, I'm trying to be really conscientious of my words. Can you tell with all the kids in here? So um, uh, I, I told my friend, his name was Chuck. I said, Chuck, actually, I don't want to do that until I get married. Like that, that to me is like a really important thing. And he lost it. And it wasn't like a good, like, whoa, dude, that's super cool. It was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, you're such a whip, you're such a, you're such a wuss, man, what's your deal? And, and he literally started doing this, and I'm not even kidding you. He started saying, Tori is afraid, Tori, like, just like that, dancing around in front of all my friends. And everybody was kind of laughing at me. And the question that Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5 is, are you going to hide your faith? Are you going to hide your Jesus light when it's difficult to stand up for me? I remember having to tell friends, hey, I don't really think that joke's funny, um, when they would tell a joke that wasn't appropriate. And they would kind of laugh at me or say that I was a punk or this or that. But you know what I said? I'm not going to hide my Jesus light because Jesus is the thing that matters the most to me. So then what does Jesus mean means when he says, um, in the second admonition in chapter six, when he says, don't do your good deeds in front of others to be seen by them. I can remember uh, about a year and a half ago, um, my third kid, Kingston, he was six years old. He was in kindergarten. He was on break. We were on uh, Christmas break. And we went to uh, Great Wolf Lodge up in Traverse City, okay? Some of you have been like, yeah, we love Great Wolf Lodge. So Great Wolf Lodge is like, it's this hotel up there, and they've got an arcade, a little bowling alley. But the best thing about Great Wolf Lodge is they have this indoor water park. And it's awesome for kids that are like, you know, 6 to 10, 12. That, but like, it's fantastic. There's slides and, you know, there's all kinds of different things they can do. And this big bucket of water that like tips over and splashes on everybody like every five. It's crazy. So uh, Kai uh, and the whole family went there. And uh, to go into the water park, you get this bracelet. That time it was this bright orange bracelet that said Great Wolf Lodge on it. Just made of plastic. And that's the, your kind of your way to get in and out of the park. Well, we got uh, home um, from being at Great Wolf Lodge, and Kai did not want to cut his bracelet off. He just was really, really excited about his bracelet. So a couple days goes by. He still has it on. It's the um, school starting back up. And uh, Kai, who is actually, he, especially when he was six, he was really shy. Um, he didn't really talk, want to talk or anything like that. So uh, we got him dressed for school that day, you know, jeans, and he had a sweater on. And uh, the teacher relayed this story to us uh, later. It was awesome. Uh, he went to school took off his jacket, hung it up where he was supposed to, and um, he took his sweater that was on, and on the side that had the bracelet, he took that thing and he hiked it up as far as he could, okay? He didn't want to tell anybody that he had been to Great Wolf Lodge, but he wanted everybody to know. So this side's all the way down, this side's pulled all the way up, and he's just kind of walking around like this <laughs> in the class, all right? Now, none of his six-year-old classmates are catching on to what he's doing, okay? So the teacher is at a desk with some of his other classmates, and he walked up to the desk, and he 
made sure he pushed it up a little bit further and he just kind of put his hand on the desk like this and just sat there. Now, the, none of the kids kind of recognized the teacher knew exactly what he was doing. And so she looked at Kai and she said, oh, Kingston, did you go to Great Wolf Lodge? And his face just lit up the biggest smile. And he was like, yeah, you know, like he just all day long, he just kept that thing pushed up, right? It's super cute when you're six. Not as cute when you're 42. And yet so often I kind of feel like I do that with my spirituality. I can remember when I was in college and I would tell people like, uh, they're going through a hard time, be like, dude, I'm praying for you. But I was really much more concerned with them thinking that I was somebody who prayed than I was about actually praying for them. And I have to pay attention to this today. For the most part, I'm not afraid to stand up for my faith. There's very few things that I've encountered where I've really had to say, ooh, am I willing to stand up for my faith? I'm, I'm pretty bold about my faith in Christ because I've seen Jesus do so much in my life. But I, but I do find that way too often I, I wear my spirituality like a, a wristband from Great Wolf Lodge. Uh, why is it that any time that I pray for somebody who's going through a difficulty, that I make sure to tell them that I prayed for them? Is my prayer less effective if I don't tell them? Now, I, I get that we need to tell each other when we're praying for each other because it's actually a real, a real encouragement, right? When we know that there's people praying for us, like that matters to us. I just wanna make sure that when I'm praying for somebody and when I let them know that I'm doing that, that it's not because I'm trying to draw attention to me and, and to my spirituality. I want to actually be a person who does exactly what Jesus says to do as he continues in verse two of chapter six. He says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Check it. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse five, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have to receive the reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Our Father loves to reward us for our work. He promises to reward us for our labor, for what he has called us to, and he knows how to give the best rewards. When I was first training bass with obedience and bite work, I would bring him out, and he'd be this little puppy, and he'd kind of come out and be all like crazy and biting on everything, and, and, and I'd get his attention with a piece of hot dog, and, and I'd pull him in tight, and why does he got in tight? I'd lift it up a little bit, and his head would go up, and his butt would sit down, and he'd sit, and I'd go, yes, and I'd give him the hot dog, and boo, and then I'd get him back over with another piece of hot dog, and I'd work with him, and as soon as he does what I need him, yes, woo, bring him around, get him in place, yes, good job. But then there was times where he'd get distracted, 
and he would think he could find his own rewards. And so he'd start looking around through the basement and he'd start biting on things and licking this and checking that out, right? Because he wasn't to see if he could find his own rewards. But see, the issue was, is I knew what base had been bred to do. Base is a Belgian Malinois. You know, the first thing that went through the door when SEAL Team 6 went to get Osama bin Laden? A Belgian Malinois. A base was bred for this. He doesn't even know that about himself when he's a little puppy. He doesn't know what he's good at, what he's going to love, what he's made to do, but I do. And I know how to give him the best rewards. And the second that base would re-engage with me in the relationship, boom, instantly he gets a reward. I'm beginning to help him, prepare him to do the very thing that I know he loves to do. How much more? (laughs) How much more do you think God knows exactly how you were designed, the calling that he's placed on your life? So often I find myself going about looking for my own rewards, hoping I can find it in, in this relationship over here or in this consumer product, this new electronic gadget, this new whatever piece of clothing, whatever, right? We always are looking for different ways that we can find our own rewards. The problem is, is that God knows us best. He knows what we're actually designed to do, what we're created to do, and he knows how to give us the best rewards that are gonna motivate us to actually live the very thing that we were intended to live, and I wanted that for base as well. How much more do you think God wants that for you than what I want for a dog? God is a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children when they ask. God is a God who rewards us for our labor. A.B. Bruce said this, show when tempted to hide, hide when tempted to show. This is how we deal with the apparent contradiction of Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. Show when tempted to hide, hide when tempted to show. God knows what we need way better than we do, and he knows the type of rewards that are actually going to continue to keep us motivated, that are going to lead us toward that calling that he's placed in our lives. Uh, I don't know what the rewards will be. It could be financial. God's actually done that for Brenda and I sometimes. Uh, We had a time once when when someone uh, helped us sell our house uh, and and returned uh, his commission. It was crazy. It was awesome. Another time that someone else uh, helped us buy a, a vehicle out of the blue. Super cool. And I'm a gifts. My love language is gifts. It sounds like the least spiritual love language in the world to have. Like my, my wife is acts of service. Like that sounds godly. Gifts just sounds bad. But uh, I, I, that's my love language. And so when I, when I got that reward from God, because it didn't come from a person, God had told this person to do something and they had done it. It was from God. Man, I love that. But God knows that like financial rewards is not usually the best reward for anybody in motivating them. You know what I found God has rewarded me with so many other times? With deep, long-lasting, eternal relationships. Deeper relationships with him where I've grown to know who he is and what he's like and what he wants for me. He's gifted me with purpose in life. I know what God has created me to do. He's gifted me with greater more inspiring jobs in the kingdom. When I have said, God, I want to do whatever you want me to do. That's what God does. God is a God who loves his kids and knows how to reward them. However, I'd like to add a little bit of depth to our teaching in the last couple minutes. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. This is Jesus still speaking. 
It's not the same Sermon on the Mount, uh, but it's a parable that he gives called the parable of the two sons. And Jesus says this, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The obvious answer is the first son. The one who said he wasn't going to go, but then actually went. Not the son who said, oh, I will, but then never actually did it. You see, God cares about what we do. God cares about the motive behind what we do. And God cares that we actually do what we say we're going to do. Some of you are here and you're 85 years old. And you served in children's ministry in this church. You greeted people. You served on the deacon board. You taught a Sunday school class. And now you're sitting on the sidelines. And you kind of think, you know what? It's somebody else's turn. I've done it. I did it in the past. It's somebody else's turn. Let somebody else do it. 85-year-old, it's time to get off the bench. Why? You're like, who is this punk trying to talk to me right now, right? I know, I know. Why? Because I need you. Because someday I'm going to be 85 years old too. And I need you right now to set an example for me that God is not finished with you. That God still has important, meaningful, powerful work for you to do. Ways that you can serve so that you can be a light that is set on a hill. Because someday I'm going to be there and I want models and examples of how other people have done it so that when I'm there, I can do it to be a model and example for the people who are going to come up behind me. And seven and eight-year-olds that are sitting in here and 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds, you are not too young. You are not too young to do good work for God. I don't know what that might be. It might mean that you need to write a note of encouragement to someone in your class that you know maybe doesn't have a whole lot of friends. Maybe you just need to invite them to sit at lunch with you this week when you start back to school or those of you that have already started. Uh, maybe you 12, 15, 16 year old, maybe you need to go and mow your neighbor's lawn or bake some cookies, chocolate chip with walnuts and bring them to your pastor who loves chocolate chip cookies. I don't know who that is. I'm not sure, but no, like, look, you're not too young to do something. And those of us that are in our 30s and 40s and maybe 50s and you're raising four kids and life is crazy and busy and you think to yourself, man, I just don't really have time because I'm just kind of already extended. Look, God has work for us to do too. I don't want to be a person who simply just kind of shows off my wristband for the sake of showing off a wristband. I want to be a person who actually is serving those, doing it with the right motivation because I know that God rewards that kind of action, and I want to be rewarded by God. Can I just tell you, he knows how to reward, like it's good. And quite honestly, what it actually does is God calls us to a life of purpose, a life of value, a life of meaning. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but I would like you to simply say, God, I'm willing to take a risk for you. Yeah, I know that fall gets a little crazy and a little busy, and you're like, you know what, man, it's just too much going on. You know what? See if God's true. See if what he says is actually true. Test him. Test him and see if he does not reward you. 
Our God is a good father. He cares about the work that we do. He cares about the motive behind our work and he cares that we actually do it. And when that happens, God rewards us and it is a beautiful, powerful, amazing thing. Would you pray with me? God, God, don't let these just be words that come out of my mouth. Sometimes it feels like it's way easier for me to sit up here and, and, and talk about stuff than it is for me to actually go back home with my wife and my kids in my neighborhood and actually do it. But God, may I be, please help me to be a person who actually lives it out and is willing to serve others, giving to the needy, praying, fasting, but not doing it in a way that draws attention to myself, but in a way that draws attention to you and gives you glory that I would be a light on a hill. And God, I don't want that just for me. I want that for each individual that's in this room. God, we as a church collectively want to be a city on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden for your fame, for your glory. And God, we know that you are a good father who rewards us because even though you are unseen, you see what happens when no one else does. And God, you reward us. Thank you for that. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Guys, I've just got two quick announcements as you're heading out for the rest of your Labor Day weekend. First of all, we've got more of these shirts. So if you didn't get a shirt last week because we sold out of them, we've got them now. I am, that scared you for a minute, didn't it? That's okay. I am one of these. We've got the shirts out there. Also, if you're not connected in community, sign up for a short circle. We're kicking them off uh, over the next week and a half. They're inside your bulletin as a place you can fill out your name and your information. Fill that out, tear it off, bring it out to the back entrance, and there's going to be a bucket out there. You can place those in. We'd love to get you connected into community. And I've got one last thing. This isn't something that we normally do, uh, but I know a lot of you guys heard about the tragedy of those two boys that uh, um, lost their lives in Lake Michigan this past week. And, and, and what an awful tragedy that is. Um, Chris uh, Mimim's mother's having a balloon lantern release at the pier at 9.30 tonight. Uh, it's in memory of her son and, and in hopes that they find him still. He's, he hasn't been found. And so if there's any of you that would like uh, to go out and be a part of that this evening, uh, um, we'd love to be able to show the community uh, our care in that way. Um, and if you're not able to get out there, at least just be thinking about that this evening. So I just wanted to make you aware. Someone sent me this note just before. And guys, we're so grateful uh, for you, for this church. And kids, I'm so glad that you got to be here. Uh, let's go do some good work and experience the rewards from the Father. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend, guys.